The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders, members, and contributors. Every week, your host, CEO of Two Small Men with Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, shines the light on a community to raise awareness of their leaders, members, and contributors. So together, we can create positive impact, inspire change, and help those in need of assistance at a grassroots level. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the community of Big Hearts. This is producer Ryan and before we crack into the interview with Stu and Angela, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Angela's company. Angela's company, Inspire Community Outreach. They're an incorporated nonprofit social services agency, and they provide evidence and culturally informed family-centered education and programming that's designed to meet the needs of those living with mental health issues and neurological and cognitive differences. Go to inspirecommunityoutreach.ca to learn a little bit more about Angela's organization and how you can get involved in helping out with Angela's mission. All right, let's crack right into this one. It's a great interview and I know you're going to enjoy it. Welcome back to the community of Big Hearts. Uh, This week we are here with Angela Taylor. Uh, Excited, um, as I usually am, to, to speak with Angela first time we're meeting um, when I heard we're having another super volunteer uh, on our uh, on our show here, I thought, how am I going to keep this original? How am I going to keep this um, fresh? And then I read her bio, <laughs> and I can't wait to get into it. Um, you have some really unique lived experiences, um, and you've used those. Um, and I can't wait to, to get into those with you. I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of tell your story. The, what we'll do today is we'll kind of take the listeners through your story arc and fig- trying to figure out what inspired you, how did you get where you are today. So um, maybe just give us a two-minute intro of, of who you are, where you are today, and then we'll start from the beginning. Okay, two minutes. Oh, man. Oh, 30 man. seconds? Uh, you mean two, five, five two, minutes? Two, two, two days? I could talk about let's it. Let's do it. Two yeah, days. let's do it. Sweet. Um, I'll say that I, I was born into poverty, and my mom um, had lots and lots of mental health struggles, also was the most beautiful person. Um, she started having challenges from the age of 12 and up, and so by the time she had me, um, she was really struggling. She was working as a nurse and trying to manage life. And, um, she had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And so that was a really big part of my life and my big part of my childhood. And shortly after I was born, we were just her and I, and just surviving through that time. She nearly died, um, a few times. So I've got lots of itty bitty stories mm-hmm. about like, you know, finding her, you know, passed out or, um, unwell, um, at the ages of like, three and four and five so lots and lots of challenges that I dealt with growing up but I it's kind of funny because like looking back and now having you know a place of balance and calm I actually feel really grateful for all of those experiences because they help me understand people a lot better Mm. yeah but so I went from there and I was in foster care for a number of years and then I went back to live with her and her new partner which was really really dangerous and so we did that for a while what ages were you in foster care? I was ages approximately five to eight mm-hmm. and then informal care prior to that, like with a grandma and a friend and 
bounced around really a lot, not really having like a some the roots that people kind of count on as as children. I really didn't have any of that growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even when I went back to live with my mom and her partner, I was you know we moved quite a bit, and I was in lots of different schools. I was really badly bullied. Um, I remember you know being having being hit by a chair at one point by a young man in uh in the school um it was really a lot of challenge like that's really minimizing it but it was really brutal like growing up it was like beyond survival where you know I actually didn't think for most of my childhood that I would survive 20 like Hmm. that's every day I was like well you know I'll live for now and then it won't be forever so that's a thing and um, and it was actually comforting to me to know that it wouldn't be like that forever, that I maybe wouldn't be around past 20 years old. Hmm. It's interesting because, you know, uh, my mom passed away by suicide um, after my, my sister was born um, shortly after. And I tried to live um, with my adopted dad at the time and raise my sister because he needed the help. Um, and also she's like just the most loveliest, most wonderful person, one of my favorite people in this world. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that scenario didn't last for very long and, uh, came home one day and the locks were changed. So I had to find a new place to live, which was really horrendous. My first year university. And then uh, you left your sister. I had to leave her because yeah. I, I couldn't get into the house. He <laughs> didn't want me in the house anymore. And he just changed the locks with all my stuff inside. So I had to quickly find another place to live, which was um, like nobody would ever want that for anybody. And I certainly didn't want it for myself. But um, like that's some of the challenge. And and the reason that he changed the locks was because I had found out that he was trying to get all the insurance money that was left to me and my sister. And so when I found out, I said, don't do that. Like I need that money for school. That's what it's intended for. Then he changed the locks on me so I couldn't get in to get my stuff. (laughs) So I quickly found another place to live and I was living with family for a bit and another family and, um, and then eventually kind of went on my own all the while going through the court systems to have access to my sister through visitation. And this is when you're 18, 19. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And I was working four jobs because I had no money, no family support and I had an apartment. So I had to pay for my apartment and pay for my car so I could drive and go get my sister across the city And so um, at 20 years old, uh, I met my partner, my ex-partner, who I was with for 16 years. And it was just like everything I needed at that time of stability and his family was together. And, you know, he wanted to have a really big family and, you know, he would help me raise my sister. And I was like, this is so great, you know. And so I was really, really thankful for that at that time. Um, And then those 16 years were really, really hard. Um, I... I have three beautiful children from that partnership and I just, they're my whole life, my whole everything. Um, and, um, and so now I've been apart from my, my ex now for almost two years and I started Inspire at that time. Um, and supporting Inspire was kind of a lifeline for me during those years. Um, I really jumped into it. Um, supporting community has been, um, a savior to me if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so like when you have just a really difficult life and every day is grueling and you're not sure how you'll survive when you have an outlet that fuels you that feeds your soul that gives you those endorphins and that dopamine hits and like all the goodness that you need in life it's everything and that's 
how I survived was um, those years was by researching and investing into community and knowing people's stories. What age was that when you started Inspire? Oh my goodness. I guess I was 30. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to come back to, to that. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of place that on the timeline. Yeah. Um, I know reading your bio and I, I, your story is um, remarkable and uh, challenging enough. But I think what I read in your story was that you also had some um, learning challenges when you were growing up. I do. It's interesting, actually, because for women, especially if we're articulate, those things are are not seen because mm-hmm. we mask it. And there's right. so many people that I meet who, especially if we're female or born female, that um, our diagnoses don't come until we're adults. So I'm dyslexic. I've always been dyslexic. I mean, looking back, it's as clear as day. Um, but I wasn't diagnosed with learning disabilities um, even though I struggled in school until I was an adult. Same thing with ADHD and ADD. I've always been this way, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my 30s. Hmm. Yeah. And other things. I have a variety, like a parfait. I see. Yeah. <laughs> a little smorgasbord of it's delicious. challenges. It's delicious. I recommend. <laughs> highly recommend. Um, so many people that I've met with, with great challenges um, become great people. Because they've overcome those, they know how mm-hmm. to fight. They know how to struggle through. They develop resiliency, and uh, and then later on in life, they know how to work around those things, or work mm-hmm. with them, or use them to their benefit. And and now they're achieving more than most. Mm-hmm. Um, like is your story, which is will be quite evident, I think. Um, one of the things that that I read that kind of resonated with me and um, is actually part of my story as well is that um what you had said was that these challenges have become a blessing for you yes i'd love to hear a little bit about that um for me in my line of work like i am a therapist and i'm a, a clinical team lead and i support my staff um but ultimately i'm i'm thinking and i'm tracking community stories individual stories because mm-hmm. there's a powerful energy in everyone's life who they are what they need how they need it and so because of the challenges that i've experienced and some you know very significant i interpret i understand and i also feel their stories their pain their joy so i think if i hadn't had the experiences that i've had i wouldn't be as gifted as i am at that and I never take it for granted. Like the challenges are that if I hear someone's pain, I feel their pain. But when they have a joy, I also feel that joy. You can't have one without the other. So I consider that a great blessing and it is what makes me very, very gifted at what I do. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, that that, um, able to have that deeper empathy because you've lived a lot of it. Well, and it, enough that it will shatter your heart. You know, when I hear something that's devastating a family, like I am devastated, like my entire neurology, my entire sensory system Hmm. is devastated for a time. And that's a motivator because I want to help them. I I want to problem solve. I know that's a whole different podcast, but I am too curious not to ask. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you cope? I know it's not forever. So if I hear something devastating, I understand that it's a wave of pain 
it mm-hmm. will not be lasting forever. It will not affect all parts of my life that I cannot have the waves of intense euphoria and joy without that. And so I accept that there's two pieces hmm. and I also allow it and invite it to be a motivator for me. Hmm. So if I hear someone is having a devastating loss like this week, I find all the resources hmm. and I share it. I don't care if it's midnight. So you use it as an energy for you to do some good. Um, well, love it. Um, let's, uh, let's go back to, so you're in university, you're, you're finding your own place. Uh, did you know right away what you were going to take in university and why? Oh, that's such a funny question. Okay. So, um, when I was a kid, I was told by my family that I was to be a surgeon because I was excellent at sewing and I had a kind of a medical mind. Um, I'm intelligent in many ways. And so there was a, there was a pressure, there was discussion of becoming a medical doctor. That was the expectation. My mom was a very talented nurse. So was my, my maternal grandma. So growing up, there was this expectation and then it was, well, I don't want to be a surgeon because that's disgusting. That's nasty, (laughs) but maybe I'll become a vet because I love animals. And then the expectation was that I would become like a veterinary doctor. Mm. It was always expected that I would be a doctor. Mm. And around the age of 20, I was like, I don't really, I don't know if I'm going to be a doctor, but I really want to change the world. And so people would ask me, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to change the world. Mm. And I didn't know what that was going to look like yet, but I wanted to take psychology because my family is very complicated and I was raised by a sociopath. And I really just want to figure out what that shit was about. (laughs) Honestly, I went into psychology because I was like, something's wrong here. And I just need to understand it better because like, I want to be well and I want to be balanced and I want to raise my sister and I want to live a good, happy life. And I don't want to carry that stuff anymore. So that's why I went into psychology. So my first degree is in psychology and sociology. And it was like a world of hurt and joy to figure out all the intricacies of like attachment and what makes you you you're kind of learning yeah these experiences what it's done to you yeah well and that like their shenanigans has nothing to do with anybody else like Mm. their illness has nothing to do with me causing it or asking for it that was amazing amazing to experience Mm. at university of winnipeg amazing (laughs) yeah so initially you went into psychology to figure out yourself. Yes. Um, and then from there, what's the next step along your journey to starting Inspire, to getting to that point? I'm sure there's a bunch of steps. What's the next step? The next step. Wow. Well, I really wanted to get my master's of psychology and instead it was um, in our family, I stayed home and had children and started raising my sister and my sister is complex. She's got a very complex neurology and she had lots and lots of behavior challenges and really incredible, like incredible woman. She really got through a lot, um, despite like the worst cards being dealt to her. Um, so I really focused on that. I was a clinician at new directions and I worked with like just incredible children and youth that were in foster care in specialized homes. And so I loved that job. 
I loved my team. I loved my boss. And I loved those kids. Like I could just meet them and be like, we're best friends now. And I noticed that I had this incredible skill with connecting to very, very complex youth in crisis. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, there's something to that. Like I'm getting joy. They're getting joy. I wonder what I can do with this. And I ended up staying home and having more children. And then when I was pregnant with my last, my last baby, my daughter, who's now six, I was like, I, I need to do something. I think I'm going to just have events to raise money and then donate that money to make, you know, crisis prevention for teens who are suicidal. Let's just do that. I'll just do events because that's so fun. And I saw that's how actually Inspire started was as like a fundraising mechanism to invite other charities. This is a really important moment. Um, What did you feel that there was challenges? Were you afraid um, that it wasn't going to work, that you didn't know how to do this? Like this is the moment that I I love exploring with others listening, um, hopefully to inspire them. Because I think a lot of people think about doing these things they think about helping and they get this like dreamable what it looks like but then they don't take that next step and that's what we want to try to inspire so just like explore that decision moment where you were just like yeah let's do it so there's a there's a a line like a quote that i've heard a few times of you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and i think it's michael jordan isn't it wayne gretzky Oh, yes. Sorry, Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) Somebody awesome. Definitely. definitely. Good old Wayne. Um, But I remember at that time not really thinking about that. You know, I needed something to do. I was at home and I, I love people and I love action. And I was at home raising children. And raising children is one of the most important jobs on this planet. But it is thankless. It is thankless. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would be cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and dealing with a son, you know, that had challenges and my sister was, you know, having behavior challenges. And I was like, I just need something for me. And so it started, you know, almost and I just write a letter and I'm just going to collect some donations. I'm just going to have this fundraiser. And, um, it just, it felt so good to see the little pieces of the list being checked off. Hmm. Right. And it turns out like we had... I think 50 gift baskets, like giant, like worth like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars each. And we had art donated. Like it was ridiculously successful, like unbelievable. And it was like very rewarding to feel like people showed up and they believe in this and they see it as a need too. And, um, I just, I really invited myself to see the things that were going well. So, um, just want to be clear. So you were, um, realizing that this raising children can be thankless it takes a lot of energy sometimes it doesn't give back um Mm -hmm. and that you decided to do this for yourself yes that this would give you energy and be get those thanks that you're looking for yes that's amazing and it goes a lot along uh the topics that we've been discussing with the other super volunteers that this isn't um, when you're giving back as a volunteer, it's actually doesn't usually start with, oh, I got to give back. It's something that you end up doing for yourself um, while giving to others. And, and that's like this, um, this win-win 
that, that I absolutely love, I don't think is talked about enough. And when people are thinking about giving back, I'm not sure it's fully considered until they actually start doing it for some. Yeah. So, awesome. And then it begins to life on its own and and, right. and and it's all over the place. Like the, like I remember I had, um, this, I had this beautiful house and the front room, um, had donated items in baskets to the ceiling. And every time I would walk in there, like I, I couldn't even let my family look at it. Cause they were like, the room is a mess, but I didn't, I was like humans, generous, generous people yeah. who might not even have a lot believe in saving children's lives and making a difference and they are giving of themselves of their business that they do not have to give because they want to prevent suicide in, in teenagers like we, yeah, weigh, weigh the pros and cons i mean <laughs> we're, we're helping people yeah perhaps saving their lives or have a little bit of a messy uh, living room. Well, I wasn't allowed to have anything out of that room, but I kept it in the room and it was a mess and I kept the door closed yeah. and, you know, and it was, yeah, it felt so good. So, th- I mean, that's how it started. It started with, I'm like, you know, it takes five minutes to, to fill out nonprofit work documents to, to start a charity or not a charity, but to start a nonprofit. And um, I asked my family to be the... Um, the board of directors and they agreed because there was very low risk and we weren't really doing a lot. Um, and, and then with that money, I was surprised because I couldn't get the charities in Winnipeg to do what I wanted them to do with that money. I was like, I'll pay you, I'll pay you to help these kids with prevention, not crisis management. (laughs) Let's not wait till they're killing themselves. Let's, let's, provide education ahead of time let's provide groups ahead of time and they were like well we could do maybe something in the summer no no i mean like all year these kids are in distress and they need help like what can we do about that well well maybe but adults no no i'm not saying adults i'm saying kids they need help and so i was like fighting and fighting with these organizations and these are incredible generous skilled amazing charities and yet you know, they do what they do. Hmm. And I discovered, wow, there's there a is whole, a huge a gap here. Gap here. Hmm. What am I supposed to do? Like if I, I'm a clinician and I can't get care for my own kid, who can get care for their own kid? Like I've been in, at that time I was in social services for over a decade. I mean, now I'm on my 21st year in social services, caring for community. Like if I can't, who can? Right. And that's when it started the very next year that January to do monthly drop in for free um, building, you know, positive mental health coping strategies for teens. And I mean, it was really pie in the sky. I had no idea what I was doing. I was researching, I was asking parents, asking kids, what do you want? And it started like, you know, kind of (laughs) rough, you know, and then by the fall, it was mindfulness courses and education documents for parents. And it was going with some ease so like one year later or within a year even 10 months later i i love that um that realization you found a gap you you realized there's a problem uh you you found that gap and then you asked yourself if i can't then then who is going to yeah uh, and you filled that gap um and i do that every day now huh. every day it must be rewarding it is there must be a lot of impactful stories. Life-changing. 
Can Every sh- story changes my life. Can you share one that comes to mind? Oh, I'll try not to cry. There was a story of a parent who, oh, there's so many. A lot of us parents that have children with autism, including myself, we understand that our children require a lot of us, a lot of creativity, and a lot of forethought in terms of safety, because our children don't always have that ability to be safe. And so kind of, um, I've, I've heard of like a mom using a rope to sleep beside her son and tie mm-hmm. her son's leg to her leg so that if he got up in the night, which he often did, that she would wake. Um, I've heard parents be told that, you know, their children's disabilities and difficulties, uh, was caused by them and the impact that has on those parents for life when a service provider and professional, a doctor says like, this is just like, you just don't know how to parent well. These children have permanent neurological differences they were born with that like, I am the same in a lot of ways in terms of being high body charge in terms of my sensitivity that I was when I was born. So my mom didn't cause that. A mom doesn't, or a dad or a parent doesn't cause that. But being told that negatively affects that person's confidence, their ability to trust for life. You know, the, the parents that we often have come to us, they've been in distress for between three and 16 years. So they've been told by dozens and dozens of service providers that it is their fault. If they could just work on nutrition with their kid, it would be fine. If they could just do a bedtime routine. So those types of stories, they really, really hit home. I have talked to parents who have lost their children. They've died. You know, like that, I carry those stories every single day of my life. Were you able to, knowing that, you're able to coach those parents and give some relief? I do. It's one of the biggest joys of my life is to mm. find a family that is, they're hungry for help. They're, they've tried everything. I mean, they've, they've tried, I mean, everything you could Google, every service provider recommendation, and it's not been successful. It has not been what they needed. And to f- just sit with them and hear what they've tried and what they want and make a solution with them that's based on their information, their needs, their goals, and see them come to a place of success, there's nothing like that. Nothing. I can't imagine what you would find while Googling to solve some of these problems. Oh my goodness, it's ridiculous. <laughs> some, some hilariously awful suggestions, I'm sure. It's honestly, it, and dangerous. Yeah. Some of them are dangerous. Right? Hmm. Or they're just a waste of your time. And when you're already exhausted and you yeah. have not slept in 16 years real well. And no confidence. And-, and you've been told it's your fault that you've caused this. That you're at fault for your child's behavior, your child's disability, your child's, you know, humanness, their neurology. You know, the pit of despair that they're in, they just need someone to sit with them for a bit. And just, just, you know, give them a hand up. That's all they need. They don't need the magic. You know, I, it's funny. People will be like, oh my goodness, you do so many great things. I, I am honored to be invited into these families' homes mm. on like a daily, weekly basis 
when they have been just in a brutal system for decades. Like, it humbles you to your core, for sure. Yeah. What's next for Inspire? Oh my goodness, the growth that we're in right now, some of the things we haven't even launched because it's just so intensely wonderful. Uh, We are now up to 13 staff. Wow. I know. We have two satellite locations. Our main office is at McDonald Youth Services um, here in Winnipeg on Mayfair. And we have a satellite location in Dryden, Ontario. And we have a satellite location in the Interlake. So we are starting to, to grow um, in very big ways. I supervise a, an incredible clinical team. These are like hand-chosen, passionate, kind, loving clinicians that have unique personal experiences that make them have an edge. Um, we've got, I am also a mentor for social work students. So we have those students also coming with us um, very shortly in a couple of weeks. Very excited about them joining us. We have uh, Dating 101, which is a really cool program developed within four community. Again, filling social services gaps. <laughs> if you are autistic, you are neurodiverse, and you are struggling with dating, and it's just you, you're in your 30s, you've tried everything. You've tried everything. Um, and I can sympathize because I dated for the first time in my 30s. It's kind of brutal. <laughs> um, we can support you with that. <laughs> but it's not us talking at you. It's us coming up with a plan together and us doing a program together with community and making something uniquely meaningful to make big strides in people's personal lives. So that's just some of the things. That's listening to some of those solutions that you're coming up with. That um, was really cool hearing that because I'm, I'm a problem solver by nature. Yeah. It sounds like you're just listening to your clients, finding out what the problems are and creating programs around that. Yeah. Well, they no, know. They, they're like, Angela, I wish that there was a really affordable social skills group because my amazing teen needs support with social skills. Hmm. So we legit hired somebody that's autistic to teach this course, and he is amazing. So cool. Like, we're just creative problem solvers, but just like really just doing what people are asking us to do that's legit all we do (laughs) and we look real great doing it but it's not us like it's just community just saying what they need (laughs) but we're good listeners yeah i believe that yeah how how are you guys funded we are not core funded which means we have no regular funding which almost every other charity does Mm -hmm. we are creatively funded (laughs) i'll say we get a little bit of donations not much I think we've got two donations a month um we get some donations from uh private folks and business for special projects like we had the computers for kids program where we delivered 437 computers to community members um for for just on donations alone that was a very costly program for us but we Mm -hmm. were really proud of that um and we get funding here and there through grants so we write the grants which often takes dozens and dozens and dozens of hours and then we apply and then sometimes we get it in this year we've done very very well very well yeah how can we help you and inspire how can the listeners how can ryan and i help you oh that's such a great question i love that question Mm -hmm. um if people do have 
the time to share our resources, free videos, whatever on social media. That is really helpful because it helps us help people without actually having to go to their house. Um, we have a lot of different videos coming up um, as well that we would love people to share. Um, if you know people that maybe would be interested in coming to Dating 101 or social skills groups or to buy our books. We've got all kinds of minds within four children with disabilities, which was written for kids and it's so good. We have another book that's being published actually right now and it's um, an art for wellness facilitation guide. And so that was a textbook I wrote over three years. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to like just, just have like a tiny violin, just like you guys (laughs) don't, if you're like, I think I'm gonna write a textbook. Don't. Okay, <laughs> don't do it. It's so brutal. It's not on my list currently, don't, and now it you know definitely what? won't be. Don't <laughs> add it. Don't add it. It's not bucket list material. Okay, <laughs> go to Pinawan. Go on the the uh, the water instead. Okay. Um, so, like those types of things. Like if you can buy that book, or if you can, if you know somebody who would like that resource, to invite them to know about it. Like us on Facebook, because then you know that's always nice for us to follow us. Um, you know, if you know a business who can donate, I love that. If you want to come to our fundraisers when we're allowed to have them again, you should do that. Um, and just know about us, I guess, right? We really just love helping people. We really want to have families discover we're available because often they've been in distress and feeling very alone for a long, long time and their mental health is not doing well. And it happens from somebody listening to a podcast. Oh, you know, Jennifer. Jennifer has got this really cool kid who's having a really hard time. They've tried everything. They just don't know where else to turn. And then they'll contact us. Hmm. And then usually within a short period of time, they're doing really well. Amazing. So, I mean, obviously, money. Just send money. But also... <laughs> but I was all, waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> but just families. They need to know about, they need to know about us. We, we will do all of those things. Thank you. We're, we're starting to develop a, uh, a pretty good following um, on some of our social medias and my LinkedIn, and, and we'll get all that information out there posted a bunch of times. Awesome. Um, and we'll spread, spread the good word through our networks, and hopefully our listeners will do the same. Thank you. Before I ask my last question, I want to ask Ryan... Uh, does he have any uh, questions through this process? I'm sure I missed something. So you never miss anything, baby. You're all good. You're all good. <laughs> but, but there is a question I was asked that I was thinking about um, throughout the interview. Um, it's that when people get involved and they start something in the community, yeah. um, they 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 see a need, they see a problem, they see a gap, and they want to fill it. You talk to that. But sometimes when you get so deep into it, it affects your own mental state. And this is something that I've experienced myself where I can sometimes get so close to something that affects my mental state. And I have my own protectionist mechanisms. What are some tips for people out there who are giving their time to people, to animals, and they care so much, but when they see injustice, they see harm being done to them, it affects them deeply and it almost... I don't want to say deters them, but it it makes their their experience much harder. How do you protect yourself in some of those cases? Oh, that is an ongoing journey. So for me, there's two pieces that I've learned. And for many years, my coping strategy was to become a workaholic. And so I I lived, I breathed, inspired. I was working 80 hours a week. It was all I could do. It was it was saving me, but it was also hurting me. And so, 
you know, one thing that I worked really hard on and, and actually like since not being in that toxic environment anymore, um, the need to be a workaholic is gone. It was like a light switch went off. So sometimes it's asking yourself and reflecting like, what's the reason I'm getting so involved? Is it because my environment feels unsafe and I'm looking for a way to get my dopamine hit? Usually. So adapting your environment to be safe and balanced is going to be really a priority. And then also like even out of that, out of that environment in my safe, beautiful, small house, with my beautiful children and my puppy and all my art all over the walls, my environment is safe. And sometimes, because I have a hard time saying no, I get to a place of unbalance again. So it's being really self-aware in a non-judgmental, very compassionate way. Listen, self, you have this way about you. You love people. I get it. And also, you got to love yourself. So what are you doing for you today? Well, I'm doing yoga today. I'm touching base with my best friend, Lisa, because she's the best person ever. I'm going to go for a walk in the forest. What fills you in a way that feels right um and the other piece is just being aware of burnout so like the burnout levels you can google it and there's really nice visuals and i and i i often send them to my friends when i'm like hey you doing it again babe um or even to myself as a reminder like there are levels of burnout that we all experience and and helpers we tend to give and give and give until we have nothing left and we head into burnout which is bad. Don't be in burnout, my friends. <laughs> Nobody wants that for you. We want you to be well. We want you to be happy. And then that's when community benefits the most. Right? So well for me, it's being very aware of my burnout levels. Yeah. And having kind of, I'll call it a safety plan. So like for me to be well, maybe a wellness plan is better. But like when I start doing this behavior, hmm, that's a little alarm for me. I need to do the, the following things. I need to reach out to my friend Lisa, my friend Kyle, my friend Corey. I need to I need to connect with them again because I kind of withdrew into myself a bit too much. And and that for me has has been a godsend. Has been everything about keeping balance, right? What, yeah. What I what I took from that or what I'm relating back to uh, what we're doing is give, but give sustainably. Absolutely. Make sure that you're not giving to the point where you can't anymore. And you will get to that point mm-hmm. and honor it with compassion. Mm. It's for good reasons. Everything we do is for the best of reasons, even if other people don't understand or we don't understand yet. Right. But if you can stop and pause and be kind to yourself. Perfect That's segue it. to yeah. my last question. Oh. I've, I've stolen this question oh. from uh, I listened to a podcast. Um, it, it's about investments, and um, so Patrick O'Shaughnessy is the host, and he changed up recently to ask this question at the end, which I love. And the question is, what is the kindest thing anyone has done for you? Oh, I have such beautiful people in my life. It would hard. For, it's hard for me to say just one thing um, because the people, I call it my nest, the people that I've collected in my nest, my friends that have become my family, um, show me just endless compassion and love. But the one thing that keeps coming to mind, my best friend Lisa, she was the first person to show me what a reciprocal relationship could be like. Mm. So that you can give with your whole heart without an expectation of anything in return 
And when it's right and when the other person has, they will do the same for you. And I cherish her for teaching me that lesson because that was the first time I had ever learned it or experienced it. So that was the kindest thing anyone's ever done for me, ever. Without getting uh, too kind of sappy, that that is what I understand the definition of love is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story, being vulnerable, and helping inspire myself, uh, Ryan, and hopefully our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Community of Big Hearts with Stu Starkey. If you know someone in your community who is a leader doing great things and driving change, a contributor who is on a passionate mission to help their community through a nonprofit or a foundation, or a community member just doing their part to make their community a better place, please send Stu an email and let him know and maybe they can be featured on a future episode of The Community of Big Hearts. You can email Stu at Stu at twosmallmen.com. Again, that's Stu at twosmallmen.com. Thank you again for listening.